Good evening. Does that video speak to anybody else? I know those of you that were here last week watched that video with us, and I apologize for that, but I sat at home last evening, and uh, I watched that video as I was preparing to speak. And several of those quotes, I, I read prolifically, so several of those quotes I've heard before, and I knew the origins of, and a lot of them were new to me still, and, and uh, the most famous, if you will, the one that I know the best is the very end, where it says, for the plans I have for you are not to harm you. And I sat in my office last night, and I wept as that came on, line by line by line. Happy New Year. As we begin this year, I want to talk about new beginnings. I want to talk about that plan that God has for us individually and the plan that God has for us as One Love Church. For me, it's incredible. I haven't actually had to say 2012 yet. This, this is the first time that I've, I haven't written a check because I don't have a job and I don't have any money. I, haven't, <laughs> I don't have a job and therefore I have no appointments. So I, I, the date is irrelevant to me. So this is the first time that I've had to say happy 2012. It seems unbelievable that we're here. At the end of one year and the beginning of another, as often people do, um, I began to reflect upon the things of last year. The highs, the lows, the mountains, the valleys, the good things, the bad things, the lessons, the trials. Things happened to me and in my life in 2011 that I certainly was not expecting. And things that I never would have dreamed of in a million years. Some good, some bad, some really bad. Never would have dreamed of them. And I'm not much of a New Year's resolution kind of guy, and those of you that know me know that that's because I can't remember anything long enough to stick to it for a year. So that's probably not going to work. So I don't, I don't spend much time doing the whole New Year's resolution thing, but I do t take time to reflect. And as I said, I reflected upon 2011, but I look forward to 2012. And in that same spirit, I said, okay, God, what unexpected things are going to happen in 2012? Be those, those really good things, those mountaintop experiences, or those really low things, the things that maybe we'd prefer hadn't happened. You know, um, we often, in the church world, we use the term mountains and valleys, and, and that's something that's always spoken to me because it's, it's graphical. You can, you can see it. It illustrates that the high points are those mountain points, and the valleys are those low points in your life. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to a, to a Gaither concert. And I know you guys can laugh at me. Most of you would not be caught dead at a Gaither concert, but I happen to love them. And uh, they sang a song um, that I've known forever. Again, a song I've sang a million times, and it's called Through It All. And as with every good hymn, the third verse is always my favorite. And the third verse of that song says that I thank God for the mountains, and I thank God for the valleys. Thank him for the trials and the storms that he has brought me through. And then it says... And the reason I do that is because if I had never had a problem, I would not know what faith in God could do. That is the spirit in which I'm entering 2012. Because it's easy for me to sit and look back upon some of the bad events of my life and of this last year and to enter it with a negative attitude. But if I had never gone through those valleys, if the things that have happened to me had not happened to me, I would not know what my faith in my God can do. As a pastor, I always enter the New Year's with the realization that many of the people sitting in front of me today are in one of two spots. 
We choose to be in two categories in, in the new year. We can choose to be someone who is moved by our past, stuck in 2011 and the years prior. Or we can choose to be someone who is motivated about our future. As a young church, it's easy for us to be collectively motivated about our future because there's certainly a whole lot more in front of us than there is behind us. Today, I want to encourage us to move on in 2012, to move on and face the future with strength, with success, and with security. You know, the only person who's ever walked on this planet without regret was Jesus Christ himself. And certainly that's, that's not true for any of the rest of us. I try to live my life without regrets, and I make it a principle to not regret things necessarily. But I'm sure that all of us, if we're honest, can say that we do have regrets from this last year, from the years prior, maybe before 2011. Some of us have regrets because of the things that we did that we know we should not have done. And others of us have regrets because of the things we didn't do that we know we should have done, those missed opportunities. And countless people start today and every other day with this cloud over them. It just, a cloud of remorse and of regret hovers above us. And while that may sound bad, let me tell you that if that's you, if you're like me in that way, then we're in good company. Because by many accounts, the Apostle Paul could be considered the best Christian to ever live. Yet, he was a man who had a life full of regrets, of heartache, of sorrow, and remorse. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Tonight, as Brad mentioned, I want to have Paul start us on a journey to guide us out from underneath that cloud of remorse and on to a crown, a crown of glory, the good things that God has for us in 2012 as we make this year the one in which we proclaim out with the old, but in with the renewed. See, God wants for us to be whole in mind, in body, in spirit. And as stated, there are likely things that, that have happened to us. There's likely things of our past that have caused deep, deep wounds. Those issues for which we gathered and prayed for just a few moments ago, many of those have caused deep wounds in many of us. Many of those have never healed. And sure, most of us put on our church faces and our church attitudes, if you will, and we mask those things. And a lot of people don't know they exist, and those that do know they exist don't know the true extent. They don't know them like we do, but they are certainly still there. In many ways, trying to ignore these is like trying to ignore the elephant in your living room. I always used that phrase when I was, was working in business, the elephant in the boardroom. But the elephant in your living room is that thing, that gigantic thing that you're trying to ignore. I reckon that this is a lot like that. You can't do it. You can't ignore an elephant in your living room. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with your past. It's not going to be fun. But if you don't move on, you'll never have that healthy, whole spirit that God wants for us to have. So the process by which I suggest that we do that is found, if you have your Bibles, if you turn to the book of Philippians in the third chapter, we're going to read verses 12 through 14. I'm reading from the New International Version, as is what's on the screen as well. And there it says this. It says, not that I have already attained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have, been, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called for me, heavenward in Jesus Christ. So the first step to moving on, to forgetting our past, is to recognize that we need healing. See, verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained all of this. By that, it's, it's teaching us that we need to recognize our need. We need to recognize that we do, are in need of healing and to be dissatisfied with that position in which we're already in. It is acknowledging that there is an elephant in your living room. If you look at this picture, I suspect that if there's an elephant in your living room, you probably know it. This is a pretty good attempt to disguise it. But still, I'm pretty sure if there's an elephant in your living room, you are aware of it. And the same is true with the spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness that's living in us. You know it's there. So it's more of a psychological acknowledgement. But we have to recognize our need for healing. This is a painful, painful process. I've been through it more than one time. It might mean that you have to admit that you were wrong, that you did somebody wrong. It might mean that you need to ask forgiveness. It might mean that you have to forgive someone for something that they did to you, for harm that they caused you. Church, one of the most freeing realizations I've ever come to in my life is the realization that unforgiveness in my heart is only hurting me and not the other person. See, the other person, the person whom I'm refusing to forgive, most likely is not living with that same cloud above their head that I am. It's only hurting me. I know of people who have held on to unforgiveness, who have held this bitter spirit in their life for so many years that when they grew older, they became ill with lots and lots and lots of illnesses. And I don't mean to, to, to say that if you're ill or if you're experiencing any sort of illness that it's because of unforgiveness. But you know the kinds of people I'm talking about. See, these are the kind of people you can tell. I can always tell when people are bitter or full of unforgiveness. And I can tell just by listening to the way that they talk. You can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in the things that they say. See, if they're all wrapped up in their illnesses, woe is me. If they're all upset with people in the world as a whole or society, you can almost bet that they have unforgiveness in their heart and they have never dealt with it. Only God can heal a heart like that. Nothing I can say and nothing that we can do can heal a heart like that. Only God can. But the first step is to recognize the need for healing and to be dissatisfied with the position that we're in. The more that you think, I'm a logical person, so when I have nothing better to do, I sit and I maul these things over in my mind. And the more that I do that, the more upset I get, and the more frustrated I become. I suspect the same is, is almost a universal truth, because then frustration turns into that unforgiveness, which eventually becomes bitterness. And bitterness will affect your life. You know those people I'm talking about. When you can see things in your life and acknowledge them, you can finally look at them and find out the core of why they are there. Why is there an elephant in your room? What door of your life did you leave open that allowed an elephant to take up residence in your living room that you were refusing to deal with? 
We must wake up every single day determined to make the rest of our lives the best parts of our lives. Because the best is yet to come if we live in that attitude. We must be dissatisfied with our position. That, my friends, is the starting point to forgetting and moving on in this new year. So as we recognize the need for healing, the second step is to look at why you are bitter and to be delivered from it. What is the core reason that you feel the way that you do? What is the core reason that you are harboring this unforgiveness in your heart? Has someone hurt you and never acknowledged it? Were you expecting something to happen? You had something all planned out and it didn't quite work out the way you thought it would. You're counting on something and the end result was the total opposite. I know many of us have had that this year in job searches and in relationships and in everything else. We face that. Were you forced to do something you didn't want to do? Did some, I feel like I'm on the radio here. Did, did somebody violate you or violate your trust in some way in this past year? Or have you hurt someone? Have you violated the trust of someone? Looking back, do you see that the wrong decisions that you made came to the bad conclusions of the year before? And more importantly, if that's the case, have you forgiven yourself? See, much of, much of this pain and this unforgiveness that many people harbor is actually towards ourselves, which can be even more deadly. We, we, we refuse to forgive ourselves for the bad things that have happened. But church, I'm here to tell you that we can't change our past. As I said, we have to get out of bed every single day, expecting that day and the days to come to be the best part of our lives, because we can't do anything about what is already done. What is done is done. But we can change our futures if we allow God to heal us of the hurts that are blocking us. And letting go is uncomfortable. This is where I always got hung up. Letting go is uncomfortable because holding on to those past hurts and living in that self-sorrow is really comfortable because that's what you're used to. That's that comfort zone. As bad as it seems, it's comfortable. It's more comfortable than doing the hard process of moving on. It's familiar. In church, it's time to let go of that familiar. In 2012, together, we need to let go of the familiar and reach for the renewed that God has for each one of us. I guarantee you, from personal experience, that you will never experience a better tomorrow if you're always thinking about the past. If you're living on January 7th, 2012, with your mind and your spirit anywhere in 2011, you will never experience a better tomorrow. In virtually every verse of this text, Paul says some pretty aggressive things. He uses some aggressive terminology. And if you, did you catch some of those? Paul reminds us that we have to press on, to reach forward and attain the goal. One of the, I'm going to give you two social media thoughts. If you don't like the first one, use the second one. If you don't like the second one, make up your own. This week's is, the first one is this. Church, I guarantee you that God is not as concerned with your past as you are. We get so hung up in our past. And oftentimes we feel as though God is sitting there harboring those same feelings. And I promise you, he is not. God is not as concerned with your past 
as you are. Let me give you an illustration. If you're familiar with the life of Paul in the scriptures, Paul dealt with exactly what we're talking about. He understood this truth because he himself was striving to move on, to move past his current position in life. He himself was trying to move past his past. See, Paul had to forget three things. Paul had to forget about his past guilt. See, Paul was a murderer, a blasphemer, and a persecutor of Christians. Paul, remember, the best Christian to ever walk the earth by many accounts, had to forget about his past grief. Paul was beaten, he was jailed, he was mocked, he was shipwrecked, forsaken, and rejected. Paul had to forget about his past grudges. And that's often the hard one. That's where the forgiveness and the unforgiveness comes in. We hold grudges like nobody else. And that's so unhealthy. Paul, if you read his life, Paul was lied to. He was mistreated. He was forsaken. He was thrown out by his family and his friends. And the story goes on and on and on. Paul had to forget about his past guilt, forget about his past grief, and forget about the grudges that are 2011. Hear me tonight, church, that to forget something does not mean that you stop remembering. Unless you're like me, it's impossible to completely erase your past from your memory. I do it about every five minutes, but most people can't do that. I forget everything, but, but the word forget doesn't actually mean that. In this sense, as Paul is using it here, what he's saying is to no longer be influenced by your past. To no longer be affected by our memories. You're not going to erase your memory, but you can choose to not let those affect your future. The Bible tells us that God forgets our sins. And I remember as a, as a child thinking, how can God forget? I mean, with a couple thousand years worth of stuff to remember, maybe it's possible, but, but I don't think that's what the scripture was trying to tell us. See, God doesn't have Alzheimer's, and God's not like me. He doesn't have these short-term memory problems. See, no, what God is promising us in the scriptures is he's reminding us that he will never allow our sin to influence his relationship with us. Amen? God will forget our sins in such a way, should we ask him, that he will never allow those to influence his relationship with us. Can we do that? We have people, there's people in our lives who our relationships are influenced in such a way because we refuse to let those memories be memories. This week, I challenge us to acknowledge the elephant in our living room. I encourage us to look at the core reason why that elephant is even in our living room. As I asked earlier, what door of your past have you left open that's allowed a creature of that size and that magnitude to move in? Because you know that much like an elephant being in your living room, you have to work around that. It's impossible to ignore. It's impossible to pretend that there's not an elephant crouched up in your house. And the same way is true in your life. If we're harboring unforgiveness and this bitterness, we're working around that in almost every decision that we make. We have to figure out what door it is, why it's there, and then ask God to start forgiving and live in that glory. And finally, the third step to forgive what is done to us and to move on is to let go of that familiar and reach for the new. As I said, remember the things 
that we've done in the past. The things that we used to do or the way that we used to think has not healed us from our past. In fact, it's done quite the opposite. The way that we used to think and the things that we used to do have continued that elephant to live in our living room and not just that, to grow and to be nourished and to live there happily in health. For years, we have held on to unforgiveness and it's familiar to us. Bitterness has become who we are. It would seem weird at this point in our lives to, to have love and to express love for a person that has hurt you or is, who has caused division in your life or your family or your friends in some way. It would seem unfamiliar for you to think differently of yourself because for so many years you've harbored self-hatred and self-belittlement. But letting go of your past is truly letting go of the old way of thinking, setting aside that mindset. When you find yourself thinking and believing the same way you did for years, what I'm telling us tonight is that we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that condition and be determined not to let us control us any longer. When we're reaching for that new, when we're reaching for the renewed that is 2012, with our Lord. Remember that we've never traveled here before, not in our minds, not in our thinking, and it will feel uncomfortable. We will want to go back to the familiar, but we can't. Paul teaches us to be devoted to a purpose. In the 13th verse, Paul says that, but one thing I do and that one thing, by concentrating on one thing, one value, and one purpose, Paul was able to press on towards the goal, to move forward, to move on. We've all failed. The failures of 2011 can no longer hold us hostage. The failures of our past can no longer maintain a stronghold on us. The second social media thought for this week, and I really like this one. It says that failure is never fatal. Failure is never futile. And failure is never final. Because of the mercy of God, because of the grace of God, and because of the forgiveness of God, it doesn't matter where you've been. And you say to me, but pastor, you don't know what I've done, and I'm here to tell you that I don't care. You don't know where I've been. And again, I also don't care. And I don't know your past. And again, I don't care. God, the forgiveness and the grace of God is what matters. What matters for us tonight is, that, is where we come from. Not the bitterness that is our unforgiveness or our past, but where we're going and the passion that we are going towards it with. The passion which drives us towards that goal. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards things ahead. Let me challenge you with one final true life story. He was 93 years old when he died in October of 1970. But early in his business life, he had experienced an economic crisis where bankers stole the sum of, of nearly $47 million over a period of several years from this, this gentleman's business. In complete despair, he suffered a mental and a physical breakdown 
the likes of which we could never imagine. Because of that, he was put into a sanitarium. He was put into a, to a home in Michigan for about 10 years. Several times during those 10 years, he tried to commit suicide unsuccessfully. One night, he, he wrote a suicide note, and he left it in his room. And then he proceeded to walk through the halls of this institution, and he collected just one pill from every patient in the institution. And he went back to his room, and he took all of those pills, swallowed them, hoping to end it all. Well, several hours later, he was, while he was in his room, he woke up very groggy, very just disoriented. And he found himself trembling, walking down a long hallway of this hospital. He stopped near a room where the nurses were inside, making the bed of another patient. As they were working away, he heard them singing an old hymn that his mother had taught him years earlier. That old hymn said this line, it said, God will take care of you. God will make a way. Then he remembered his mother saying to him, Jimmy, when everything goes wrong and all seems hopeless, don't ever forget that God will take care of you. Later, this man, he remembers that right there in that moment, I was born again. This man left this institution the next day totally and completely delivered from his past. The doctors and nurses could not believe what had happened before them. He immediately left the institution with no medicine, no symptoms of his psychotic condition, and went down to the bankers who had ripped him off of that $47 million. And he said to them, I have no ill towards you. I forgive you in the bitterness that almost broke me that caused me to nearly take my life, is now gone. Years later, this man went on in that same spirit to recover those $47 million and become one of the most successful businessmen in history. Many of us shopped in his stores this Christmas. His name was J.C. Penney. Towards the last couple of years of his life, he was losing his eyesight, and on many occasions, he was recorded to, to make this statement. My eyesight is greatly impaired, but my vision is greater than ever. Church, did you hear him say what I heard him say? One love, church, God will take care of you. I promise you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future. Then you will call upon me. You will come praying to me and I will listen. You will seek me and you will find me when you do so with all of your heart. In verse 14, the verse that's often left out says this, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity, the captivity that is our unforgiveness, that is our 2011, that is our past. One Love Church, it's time that we say out with the old and in with the renewed. Will you pray with me as the worship team comes?